Because it's your boy, Matt Baxter, hanging out here on another amazing episode of the Matt Baxter Show, hanging out with Dustin Wagner. Dustin Wagner is Canadian, eh? And uh, honestly, just like one of the most like helpful, amazing human beings. He's super kind, super down to earth, super willing to help out. A lot of supers there because he is a superhuman. Um, he, uh, he, he, he has sort of lived one of the most non-orthodox uh, career paths that I've ever spoken to. Everything from energy to oil to startups to uh, business consulting to customer success. I mean, a wide, wide, wide range, which makes him a very interesting person to have a converse, person, excuse me, to have a conversation with. Um, Dustin, thank you for the man that you are. Thank you for the uh, advisory role that you have taken to so many different amazing startups out there. Thank you for just being somebody who's down to earth, one of the smartest guys in the room, but doesn't need to like show off that. You're just simply able to ask questions, come alongside somebody, and then offer some pretty darn good pearls of wisdom along the way as well, too. You're a phenomenal man, and I hope everybody enjoys this podcast just as much as I did. Well, uh, well, Dustin, thanks for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. So uh, we're going to get a lot of Canadian A's, and we're going to get a lot of uptone speak with the uh, the lovely Canadian man that you are. You you bet, man. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> where remind me where you're at? I am sitting in beautiful Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and uh, today it might actually hit sixty degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, I'm calling it summertime. I was about to say because like last time we talked, I think it was like negative thirty or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, we get we get the whole range of weatherful wonders. Um, yeah. I mean, the only way I can compete with that is I think you and I talked or spoke one of the days I was actually in Colorado and it was like, it was during like literally the winter tundra of, I woke up, drove from Col Northern Colorado back to Michigan, but I did a quick stop in Lincoln, Nebraska. And it was like negative 35 or negative 40. And I had my dog with me. And every time I let her outside, she like did like the classic, like high knee, high leg pause because her paws just got so cold in the snow. Oh man, good for you for uh, for putting up with that. That's it cool. makes me hearty, and it means that someday when I get to uh, retire to somewhere warm and tropical, uh, I'll appreciate it that much more. Yeah, exactly. Sixty days is tropical for you. I'll give you that. But there you go. all right, man, give me the story. What's what's the background? The background. Oh, I have had the uh, winding road career, um, life story, all that kind of. All that kind of stuff. None of it goes in a straight line, which uh, which has made it all the more interesting. Yeah, I was about to say, it makes it fun. I mean, if it was a straight line, you wouldn't be sitting here. No, I'd be an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody needs that, I'll say. That. No one needs that. No one <laughs> needs that. Uh, keep me away from the numbers. It's safer that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I grew up in Western Canada here in an industrial family. Uh, my grandfather owned a pipeline technology company, and I remember spending... You know, the odd weekend afternoon at the shop there when I was young, hanging out on the forklift. Um, and then when uh, when I got to university, I decided to take a left-hand turn. Uh, I applied to engineering, immediately changed my mind, went into political science and spent the next three and a half years studying American foreign policy relations with the Asian bloc. Um, Real quick, are you, uh, would you, de so you started engineering, then went uh, poli-sci. Uh, yeah. Would you default, like left brain rational thinking or right brain emotional thinking like oh, where, where, where do you I, default i am highly left brain rational i am okay. i am a realist in in a in a very strong sense um so engineering seemed like a a great default answer uh, i was actually really good at math and physics uh i kind of liked it but um 
I remember getting to university and my first day on campus, I saw this guy wearing a t-shirt and t-shirts will change your life. Remember that quote? Um, it said engineering, the worst four or best seven years of your life. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I can't put up with this for seven years. Um, what else do I like? <laughs> The only similar comparison to like a t-shirt quote is uh, one that my aunt gave me and uh, it's, it's a bright yellow shirt that says I'm shy. And I'm sure as you've in our conversation realized that I'm probably not the most shy person, but I, 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 I like to wear that shirt every time I travel or anytime I'm in like some country doing a crazy thing and people look at me, they're like, that's actually kind of funny. And I get, I've gotten a lot of foreigners who pointed that one out. So other, other than, other than the I'm shy t-shirt, I like the engineering quote as actually inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I think I might've made it two weeks. It was within the uh, time frame that you could swap classes at no fee. So it wasn't very long into my t- career there. So, um, yeah, ended up in political science, um, which I actually really loved. Um, but graduating from poli sci, uh, living in Western Canada, having spent three years studying the United States and, and China and Japan, um, my job prospects were actually pretty limited. So I, uh, I defaulted back to the, the world I grew up around, which was the, the construction world, heavy equipment, industrial space. And largely that's where I've spent my career. Um, I, I've, I've worked in service operations. I've worked in sales and marketing. I've built out corporate functions. Um, I've done management consulting in the IT space, largely for industrial clients. Um, so I've done a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I own my own consulting firm uh, called Delta Business Advisory. And I also work with startups, particularly in the tech space, um, which is wildly different than, than most of the day jobs I've had. So it's been really fun and interesting, and I've learned a ton, and I love it. Let's double click on the uh, the poli sci uh, that. So uh, just for like listeners sake, would you say studying poli sci not in the United States is wildly different, similar, different in ways that you wouldn't expect? How would it compare to like if you were to potentially study poli sci in the US? Um I think it's, I think the study of it is similar. I think the, the context and the learning is similar, but um, one of the things I, I recognized, you know, as an outsider is that the political machine in the U.S. is a gigantic business and, and it's unlike anything else, anywhere else in the world. Um, it's, it's amazing um, and it's powerful and it employs a ton of people. So, I mean, your job prospects studying political science in the U.S., if you actually want to want to work in that space, are, are vastly greater than they are if you live in other parts of the world. I mean, you know, professional campaign managers in the U.S. are a thing and they're well paid and they're professionals and they have a job every, you know, that kind of runs on a two year cycle um, in a lot of ways. Uh, not the case here in Canada, not the case in a lot of other parts of the world either, where, where those roles are infrequent, they're sporadic, they're not highly paid. Um, and there's very few of them to be, to be brutally honest. So, um, I, I think the, the scale and the breadth and the organization level of the mechanics of the machine that is, that is the political system, um, in the U S is just, 
unlike anything else. Um, I've heard, I've heard that like, and this is one of those, you know, 99% of stats are made up on the fly. So take this with a grain of salt, but I have heard somewhere between 30 and 40% of the money spent on politics goes to typically like campaign advisors and the campaign management consulting, which is like, you stop and think about how much money is spent on campaigns and that there is a you know subset of people that are, I mean, that's true in any industry, but it's just absurd to think about the monetary value of political campaigns. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I would probably say that that, that is a low estimate from, from what I, from what I was exposed to, I would say that might be on the low end. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's in the US, it is a phenomenal, amazing industrial complex that that actually powers that that political process. It's it's it was incredibly interesting to spend three years diving into that world. So I uh, I really enjoyed it. But it, yeah, it wasn't going to be a job for me at the end of the day. So uh, I, uh, I got a piece of paper that said I was capable of learning. <laughs> well, 2032, I may put my uh, my name in the ballot, so I might give you a call to get some advice. I think. Hey, you bet, buddy. You bet. <laughs> we'll see if that. Well, because that's finally, I'll be. Uh, that'll be the first time I'll be 35. Like, so 2032, I'll be 37. That'll be the first time I'll be legally allowed to run if I want to. So nice. We'll see. We'll see. But um, all right, cool. So you in your world, what would you say is the difference between um? Professional consulting versus startup advising. Ah, well, in in a lot of ways they're really similar, um, and and in some particular ways they're very very different. So when I when I show up as a consultant, um, I am not getting necessarily paid for my opinion. I'm getting paid to to do a defined scope of work. Um, to tackle a problem using a framework. Um, in my line of work, I, I generally focus on strategy development, uh, strategy rollout, um, business analysis, whether that's internally focused or, or really looking at the broader market that a business plays in, um, competitor analysis, um, project-based work, that kind of stuff. So um, it's really the application of tools in a, in a really unbiased way. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not getting brought in because I'm necessarily super informed or well educated about what what it is that my client does, but I have the skills to help them get from A to B. Um, and it's really about applying those skills um, versus startup advising, um, where you know I, I'm often being brought in um, at a really senior level to really like sit next to the CEO, and in, in those roles, they want my advice. They want my experience. They want, they want to hear, you know, how I've, I've seen something like this before. And here's what worked, and here's what didn't, and here's some things we can think about. Um, and it's really a partnership um, more than it is transactional. Because um, in the consulting world, I mean, you you hire me generally for for a project. There's a defined start. There's a defined end. We have an objective we're trying to meet. Um, you pay me my fee. We successfully complete the project and, and I move on in a lot of cases. And and not to say that I don't have great relationships with those clients because, I mean, I, I, I still have ongoing relationships with all of them. But um, but it's the, it's the nature of the engagement that's a little bit different. And it's, and it's different in a pretty meaningful way. 
I mean, I, I show up at a, uh, to do some consulting work for a, a clean tech company. Uh, I don't know anything about their product. Like, like they're in, they're in the, the battery space. I'm not a chemical engineer. I'm not an electrical engineer. I don't develop battery systems. I don't develop battery chemistry. I don't, I don't play in that world. I love it. It's interesting, but, but I don't know anything more or different than those guys do. But what I bring to it is, is the skills from a consulting standpoint to, to get them from A to B uh, versus my work uh, with Resume Free that's a local startup. Um, I partner with the CEO, Ali. She's great. Um, she has incredible knowledge about her area of expertise and she actually wants my opinion on, you know, should we do this? Should we do that? Where do you think we should go? What do you think we should do? Um, so, so in that way, it's, it's quite different, but, uh, but they're both great. Um, I love both aspects of, of the, that kind of work. It's, it's really rewarding. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's more rewarding than, than working for giant companies. Uh, I don't know if ship metaphors are wildly out of favor now, given recent events, but you know, the old adage that big companies are like big ships and it takes a long time to get them to turn. Uh, smaller companies and startups are, are nimble. You know, you want to make a change? Let's change. Let's do it. Let's do something different, um, which is which is an, an awesome environment to work in. You know, it's the irony of recent events. I mean, when a big ship is stuck and not moving, it's really hard to get it moving again. It's actually pretty accurate, I think. <laughs> it really is. It's amazing how that works. Um, so out of all the industries that you've worked in, have you have you had a favorite and have you had one that you think is like mm, mm, untapped in your opinion? Yeah. Um, favorite? Um, I still like tractors. I don't know. I, I kind of think that I, I never really grow up. I just, you know, play with bigger toys sometimes. Um, so I really like I really like the construction world and I've I've stayed pretty close to that um as far as my day job goes uh for most of my career that in that industrial space the construction space is is definitely is definitely a favorite for me um but i i love the innovative nature of tech startups um and and how totally different they are from the fact that you know motor graders have looked substantially similar for decades um but um the untapped market um Maybe it's just the world I play in. I think I think there's a lot of those legacy industries, you know, the ones that I spend my time in on my day jobs, the the construction, the industrial, the you know, mining and, and heavy equipment kind of worlds. There is so much opportunity to leverage technology uh, in new and innovative ways, uh, even stuff like, you know, robotic process automation. Um, which is not new or terribly sexy, but um, it's fantastic tech and it does so much for businesses of all different sizes and scales. Um, you know, the ability to, I, I go back to my lean manufacturing days. Ooh, there's a, there's a head trip. Um, I was about to say, to, I would consider yourself a pretty young guy, but now we're, uh, we may be dating ourselves. <laughs> I might be, I might be older than you think I am. Um, but, you know, we used to, you know, try and lean out processes to make them more efficient and save a whole bunch of money for companies on these, you know, repetitive processes. Um, and nowadays, I can literally buy a bot, and I don't have to clean up the process. 
but this bot can execute my my garbage process so much faster than than any human can um 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 and it doesn't matter if it's a garbage process because it happens instantly without any human intervention um and so we'd be looking at these processes and be like yeah i could shave five minutes out of this human process and now i can go i can give it to a bot and it happens in seven seconds how do you balance i mean along those lines but it's kind of interesting the dichotomy of the startup world you live in versus the big corporate animals that you consult with um how do you how do you balance or what's your perspective on like the constant battle of innovation which is kind of a term that i hate because it's over like people just love sprinkling innovation on everything but like true innovation opposed to like sometimes shit just works and it's not worth changing yeah because like i mean you in, a, in our startup world for example we have a horrific amount of resources at our fingertips for email marketing so you can blast 2000 emails a day you can do hyper targeted messages you can do all this that and the other well in although it helps you scale create like crazy it helps you reach a network that you otherwise couldn't you got to play the numbers game sometimes just picking up the phone and calling does still work right and so that's a very like simple 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 example but in 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 your i guess headspace of big corporations have also figured out like people rip on corporations because you know old slow big ship blah 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 but at the same time they've also figured out how to make something work and mm -hmm. do it well and so how how do you i guess kind of balance that mental headspace back and forth um i i, I think I think you kind of hit it when you just do what works. Um, there are things that are going to work in those big companies that, that just do not work in smaller companies, whether they're a function of scale or reach or whatever they are. And there are things that work in small companies that just do not work in big companies. Um, you know, um, you can do, you can do, you can look at just about any facet of a company and go, there's, there's ways that we can do this when we're small, and there's ways that we can do this when we're big. And they that, that size function, um, it really influences the way you operate, the way you structure, the way you tackle problems. Um, I actually think it's probably hardest for the people sitting in the middle. Um, those, those true like mid-size, small cap companies um, that aren't quite big enough to be the, the giant corporate behemoths, but they're a little too big for their their old startup ways to still be effective. I mean, I think about things like team meetings. Um, when you're in a when you're in a startup, you can literally have a team meeting with the whole company once a week. You can you can feasibly get everyone on a call once a week, whether it's your your Monday morning kickoff or your Friday beers and debrief or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, but it works. You can do it, and it, logistically, it's not hard. Um, and, and from a cost impact of the company, even if you factor it in everyone's hourly wage, it's it's not actually that detrimental to your organization financially to do that. It's, it's probably healthy. You get up to you know 500 people. Try getting 500 people to sit down for a weekly team meeting. I mean, you're not going to do it. You're you're never going to get all 500 people on a call. So, you know, when you scale from that, you know. 50 person team 15 person team five person team whatever it is when you're when you're in startup phase to not even a large company 
I mean, in a lot of cases, 500 people is not a large company, um, but it, the, the systems don't work. So I think it's about, you know, recognizing what the tools are that fit with, um, with where you are as an organization. Um, and, and, you know, you get even bigger than that. And, and I mean, you're going to struggle to get single teams together, but, um, you know, being cognizant as a leader of where you are as a company. And I think, I think my experience working on both sides of that coin really adds some value when I'm, when I'm sitting there with, with leaders going, you know, let's build systems that, that yes, they work today, but let's be very cognizant of how this is going to change and how you're going to need to adapt these systems over time as you do get bigger, because you will get bigger. We're just going to plan that you're going to get big. You're going to take over the world. You're going to be a 50,000 person company, uh, a massive tech giant uh, with global reach. And, and how are we going to scale from where you are today to where you want to be? Um, you know, it's so funny here. I mean, hearing you describe that literally as we speak, we're going from a team of, you know, four to six to eight to 10. I mean, so we, number one, we just literally went from, we had a, a pod at our co-working space and we just outgrew the pod. We had the pod for two months. We just mm -hmm. already outgrew it. And just things like, I mean, m meetings and who's on each call and who needs to be on each call and who doesn't need to be on each call. And now all of a sudden it's like re reinventing team structure because of growing, which is like, mm -hmm phenomenal and the coolest thing ever but it's amazing how much you truly need to be thinking about that stuff and like i like even i've reached a point where it's like there's plenty of calls i no longer need to be on which is like the weirdest coolest oddest experience and it's 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 such a fun thing to like kind of re-architect that and uh yeah anyways i resonate with what you're talking about it's, it's yeah cool. and and i mean good for you for being in a headspace where you're where you're one, you're cognizant that this needs to change. There are, you're recognizing that there's calls you don't need to be on. Um, but two, for obviously investing in a team where you feel comfortable stepping away from those calls. Because that's, I mean, that's a lot of the heartache that I see entrepreneurs and small business owners and founders and, and people in that, in that small business startup space. They struggle with letting go. Um, you know, and, and yes, there is a time when you need to be able to pick up the phone and call the CEO and say, I'm having trouble closing a deal and I need you to step in. But that's got to be the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And, yeah. and knowing your place and building the team around you to be successful um, and having the level of trust to be able to comfortably step back from those functions, hand them over to people who are capable so that you can focus on other parts of the world is a real head trip for a lot of people. This is my baby. I built this thing. And letting go of that is is hard. It's so true. I like walking in the room realizing I'm the dumbest person and walking right on out and saying you guys got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. uh it's it's uh it's a beautiful thing when you can get there and it, it it's uh it's it's awesome. Um so for uh for you who who um who is equipped to be a consultant? So I, I think <laughs> like I think everybody would love, like, I, I can't tell you the number of friends I have, man, I'd love just to have a couple clients, make enough money and just be a consultant, right? Which I'm not ripping on the profession, but I know there's a lot of people that overly glamorize it. And uh, a lot of people love giving advice, but there's also a lot of bad advice out there. Like the number of times I've seen consultants give like 
like groundbreaking advice that should have gone the complete opposite ways kind of funny. And so from your perspective, like obviously you've, you've had a lot of success with it and you've had a lot of clients who've had a remarkable amount of success with it. So who, who, who do you think is like capable of actually being a consultant? Um, well, I, you know, aside from people who have an addiction to antacids and anti-stress, you know, kind of drugs, um, (laughs) you know, I, I think, I think there's, there's a couple of personality traits that probably play in your favor, but, um, I mean, one, one big function before you say you want to go be a consultant, I would, I would challenge people to say a consultant in, in what area? Um, what's your zone of genius? What's that? What's that realm of work where y- you feel energized? You have a lot of passion, and and it's exciting, and it it really motivates you. I do not do finance. I'm I'm just smart enough to be dangerous, and it took me an MBA to get there. Um, I don't do I don't do finance. That's that's not my zone of genius. My zone of genius is strategy and people and org structures and org design and decision making. That's the world I play in. I I play in the space where we're talking about how do people actually get stuff done. Um, and a lot of it's conceptual. There there's a ton of people I know that are consultants that don't play in that space because it's too fuzzy. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't have solidity to it and and a right answer um so first one know where you want to play absolutely um from there um i would say that there's there's a balancing act of humility uh curiosity uh and confidence which is a really weird way to put it um but i mean you you essentially need to walk into any consulting engagement and be confident enough and exude the confidence and demonstrate the confidence that people are like, yep, this guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, this gal is totally worth the money we're paying her. Um, I feel comfortable and confident that I'm going to get value for this investment. Um, you know, so you have to have that level of confidence, um, which is that fine line between, you know, you know, confidence and arrogance is a, is a really slippery slope. Um, and then the other side of it is the, is the humble curiosity, the humility and the curiosity to recognize that you don't know everything. You don't have all the answers. You don't actually understand this business. Even if you think you understand it, you probably don't. Um, so to be humble, to ask questions, to be curious, to dig into the nooks and crannies where everyone else has gotten complacent um, to dig into the places to to reframe the questions and reframe the data um, and then and then the other attribute I would say that is critically important is to be really comfortable to let the data guide you I mean you, you can't be jumping in with your own assumptions you can't be letting your own experiences direct your engagements you got to go where the data tells you to go because um, that's what you're getting paid for. You know, the, if people wanted opinions, there's there's probably a comf- company, you know, with more than enough people and more than enough opinions already. But you know, what they need is an objective outside perspective to come in and help them. Yeah. And so maintaining that objectivity is about following the data and not letting 
your own bias is getting the way. I love it. I like it a lot. Um, for you as both an advisor and consultant, um, what is like your favorite outcome to have? Like if you got to pick what, man, I've, I can go to bed and sleep well tonight knowing that I, I really enjoyed what I just did. What, what's something that's fun for you, but also like value driven? Oh, um, on, on kind of a regular ongoing basis. I love it when, love it when my clients have light bulb moments where you're sitting there and you're having a conversation and something just clicks. And I mean, those, those, those moments are great when you're on video. They're even better when you're sitting in the room. Um, cause you can literally feel the air go out of the room when it's just like, oh man, I got it. I totally get it. Um, those are those are amazing moments those are those are the the moments when i know you know i've really made a difference um with with my client with their business that you know we had one of those ahas i get it i know what we're doing i know where we're going this all makes perfect sense i can go sell this i can go do this um those are great those are i mean those those make all the work worth it oh yeah um the the best ones though i mean i I think back to as a consultant, it was a horrible, horrible engagement. I didn't make any money. Um, I, I went in for a consult and um, sat down and did a consult with a guy and he decided not to hire me, um, but it was the right decision for him. Uh, and in you know 40 minutes, we changed his life. Um, he realized he could sell his company for more than he needed. He didn't need to turn it around. He didn't need to fix it. He didn't need to do a whole bunch of work. Um, he was in a position where he, uh, a great older guy, family man, had you know put his kids through college and and all, done all this stuff. And he owned a, a small construction company, um, and he was looking for some advice to get this thing ready to sell. Uh, he wanted out, uh, and and he he knew his number. He knew what he needed to make out of this thing, and in in my, you know, half hour, hour long, you know, initial consultation with him, we were just combing high level over stuff and, and pointed out that, you know, all he needed to do was go sell his equipment. Everything was paid off. Book value, you know, essentially fair market value on all of his assets was well in excess of what he thought he could sell the business for. He just didn't realize the mountain of capital he was sitting on. Um, and, and this guy who was sitting there thinking he had three to five years to turn this business around and get it saleable. And he was going to have to show up for work for another three to five years to get this all done. Had this like wave of relief wash over him of I can retire tomorrow. I, I, can, I can literally, I can, I can sell this tomorrow. And it was a small business. He didn't, he had contractors, he didn't have any employees. It was just him. He was managing the whole thing and he had a bunch of assets and he was like, I can, I can walk away. I can retire the way I want to. This is amazing. You know, to, to, to be a part of kind of one of those moments for someone of, you know, literally a life changing moment was, was awesome. I loved it. And I didn't make a dollar off of it, which is, you know, the crummy part for me, but it was great to be there. Yeah. I was about to say, I mean, that, that's how I know. Uh, I, 
it didn't take this moment. I know, I know you're a man of integrity and just a good guy. And that's how you can tell that obviously you didn't make a penny off of it, but you helped change a guy's life and financially helped change a guy's life. And, you know, one would hope that he would, you know, at least take you for a round of golf or something at some point, but neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a, I got a nice bottle of whiskey out of it. Ah, that, uh, that, you know, pays for the 40 minutes, I guess, but <laughs> exactly. I'm good. <laughs> so, so for you at the end of the day, uh, with all that you got going on in the world, both in day job, plus, you know, the advising and consultant consulting, like what, what, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? My alarm clock. Am yep. I allowed to say that? Um, Usually that's my, <laughs> my, my kids that like to wake up at 6.30 in the morning and come running into the bedroom, dad, dad, dad. Um, I mean, the, the, the truth of it is, you know, um, I, I, I really like what I do. Um, I really like being a part of those moments, those aha moments, those life-changing moments, those, those, those experiences with people um, to, to sit across the you know, boardroom table or the office desk or, or the Zoom meeting these days from someone and and get them from a point of, I just don't know, I don't know what to do to a point where they are confident in the decision they need to make. They, they understand how it needs to happen. They understand what they need to do and, and they know that everything's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. Um, we have a plan. We can execute on this plan. We can go do this. It's going to work. Um, to be a part of those human transitions from one point to another, to, to get to that point of of confidence and certainty is, I mean, that's it. That's that's what gets me out of bed. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you're a Simon Sinek fan, but I did uh, I did one of his workshops a number of years ago where you find your why. Um, my why is. Uh, I connect people with ideas so that they can grow and change their world. I like that. And I like that you've boiled it down to one sentence. Yeah. Clarity. That's it. You help people get clarity too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's awesome stuff and, and it's energizing and it's powerful and it makes a difference in the world. That's amazing. So for people that want to reach out, whether you're a startup or company, reach out to you on the advising side, just hang out with you get to know you more, follow along in what you're doing, what is the best way for them to either get in touch, get a hold of you, or just follow along? You bet. Uh, I'll give you two ways to keep things simple because I like simple. Um, you can check out www.deltabusinessadvisory.com, all one word, uh, and you can find more about me and the company there, uh, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm more than happy to connect with people there and have a conversation. So those are probably the two best ways. Love it. Dustin, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. You bet, Matt. Love it, man. And I, uh, I will gladly hold the title of least interesting and influential person that you have ever talked to. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> thank you, sir. Have a great one, Matt. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at thematbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, 
or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way and don't be afraid to share the Map Action Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.